1: For all the latest betting markets, odds, and promotions, visit WilliamHill.com. 18 plus. Please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with.
2: Hello, and welcome to Middle Please Umpire. Uh, my name is Miles Jupp, uh, and uh, of course, alongside me is. Well, why, why, don't you, why don't you tell them who you are, Mark?
0: Uh, Mark Andrew Wood, 1990, Capricorn, long walks by the beach, uh, Northumberland, England. Sense of humour a must. Is that your current dating profile, Mark? Uh, yes. Uh, also, Satya, from humid, uh, hot, sweaty, and and willing to to ride a camel to to meet you.
2: A <laughs> camels indigenous to Sri Lanka, Mark. No. I, I, but but I'm fond of them. Doesn't mean you're not. Doesn't mean you're not willing. In fact, it shows how willing you are. You're prepared to get hold of a camel.
0: Mm, I actually do a good camel noise. I feel. I... <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is absolutely beautiful. I wish this was a vodcast so people get to see that. Can we just can we just have it one more time, Mark? I... <laughs> <laughs> I had to do, in uh, I was in this thing, The Durrells, on ITV, and there was an episode where my character had to hide in a tree and pretend to be a wild boar. Uh, but I only, you know, I opened the script that morning, it was like, I suddenly saw the stage direction, Basil makes a wild boar noise. Um, so I I did a quick bit of YouTubing, and then three hours later found myself up in a tree going, <laughs> It was, um yeah, it was a very good day, actually. It sounds like you're appealing that. Yeah. How is that, umpire? It's the new year now. Uh,
0: you're back training? Currently in Sri Lanka, I've turned from a fast bowler to a spinner, because that's the only way you can survive here. And um, took took a leaf out of your book, thought off-spin's the way to go. And
2: uh, you had, have
0: you had some holiday? Have you
2: had time to sort of lark about? I don't know what you do in your time off, Mark, sort of jumping over hedgerows and things like that?
0: Scrumping? One of my favourite pastimes... Um, as a kid, would be to play Knocky Nine Doors. Of course, everybody knows that one. Um, or um, Garden Gnomes, which is the is that Knocky Nine Doors is is the old knock on the door and run. Oh yeah, Knock 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 Ginger. It was like levels, wasn't it? Uh, the woman with the the German Shepherd and the uh, Labrador, the crazy dog lady, as we called her um, at the time. She was the boss, like the Sonic boss. She was she was the boss level. If you if you knocked on hers and ran and got away with it, because she had two dogs that were you know meant for you. If you if you didn't so I think that's where my sort of big jump at my fast bowling came from um the fact that I had to jump her hedge of course Ashington is famous for um it's an old mining town so it has like um terraced houses with gardens upon gardens um and you can sort of jump from one garden to the next to the next to the next Has Ashington
2: produced produce great great to sort of the hurdlers
0: Yes um well, we we do have the Charltons um who were famous footballers um I'm sure they would would play sort of head tennis or head and volleys over the gardens, um, and then of course time changes and we produce fast bowlers like myself and Stephen Harmison, um, who obviously got good at jumping over hedges as we as the the games develop. Who, who else? Who else is uh, from
2: as Ashington produced?
0: Well, of course we've got Ben Harmison, haven't we? The um, his brother Stephen, he played professional cricket for Durham and Kent. Uh, I think Kenneth Ferry, the golfer, he was from up our way. I'm sure he played at New which is around the corner from Ashton um we have Jackie Milburn um a famous Newcastle footballer he was he was from Ashton as well um Mark Cullen he's a current footballer I think he plays it he was at Blackpool he might be at Port Vale now um he's a current footballer from Ashton so we, we've we done all right um for being a small mining town there's probably more than that but um yeah we've done okay
2: now uh, a few weeks ago uh or we have been asking for correspondence. Uh, it's Mark that's been asking. He's just He just loves a letter. Absolutely loves it. Uh, like a dog, if he hears the letterbox going, he's just straight downstairs. Uh, there, there he is. Uh, so this is about nicknames. Mark asked about nicknames. Uh, here we go. Some of the ones that have been sent in. Daniel Jones says uh, Brookwheel's Sunday 11 had a player called Mrs. Underwood. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you
2: need to hold it together, man. <laughs> Brookfield Sunday Eleven had a player called Mrs Underwood on account of him looking like Rory Underwood's mum. <laughs> that is uh, Rory Underwood. The whatever he was, uh, sort of World up He was part of that team that got demolished by Lomu. Suddenly, wasn't he, Rory Underwood?
0: Yeah, he's a winger, wasn't he? Fast winger.
2: There were two of them. They're pilots, aren't they? These days. Um,
0: yeah, I think they were sponsored by Kitbags, weren't they?
2: That's right. Yes.
0: They used a long handle. Because they are obviously big lads. used a long handle, I think.
2: That's right, yeah. And also, of course, well, just for that big season as well, uh, Woodworm got them both. Mm. Uh, Adam writes, uh, we had a player called Nick Georgevick. His nickname was Two Pubs. That's very good. Um, you'll have to explain this one to me, Mark. We played in a tour match once against a gynaecologist whose nickname was Fingers. <laughs> uh, Tommy L. Our club captain was unfortunate enough to pick up a dog poo hidden under sawdust at his very... <laughs>
0: You're making me laugh. I don't even know what <laughs> it's called. Cool. Well, I, think I just. I, the way.
2: This this seems to be the person who's been a victim of an unpleasant prank. Our club captain was unfortunate enough to pick up a dog poo hidden under sawdust in his very first mattress. He was given the nickname Scooper, and 15 years later, it's still reminding him of that fateful day.
0: Good on you, Scooper.
2: I uh, know you'll like this one, Mark. Uh, this is from uh, Andoversford CC. Uh, We have The Whistler, named because he had some new teeth installed. And ever since then, whenever he steams into bowl, (laughs) it sounds like he's whistling through his teeth. (laughs) That is quality. That's very good. I think the uh, poor old Pooper, I feel for. No, Scooper, I feel. um, Super Scooper. Great. Uh, Isn't that an an ABBA song? uh, Pooper, Scooper. Yeah, that's right. Super scooper. What you gonna... Something, something fun feeling like a Uzman Kawaja. I can't remember exactly how (laughs) it is, but something (laughs) something like that. Uh, Excellent. Well, do please keep uh, sending your correspondence, filthy or otherwise. And um, uh, Mark is very happy to explain it to me. So we had a chat a while ago on Zoom with... um, I think perhaps I'll just, uh, maybe I'll just give you a few clues. Um, he, uh, he sometimes wears a hat.
0: Oh, it's Murph Hughes.
2: Absolutely, yes, that's right.
0: Yep, I knew it. Sometimes he sometimes wears a watch. I knew it straight away. Wears <laughs> a hat, wears a watch. He used to occasionally play on the Bandit. I knew it.
2: It is extraordinary. It is, you're absolutely, I mean, you're forensic. Um, mm. uh, were you intimidated by the prospect of speaking to Murph Hughes, Mark?
0: I was. I mean, things didn't start well, for. if you remember, Miles. Uh, there's four of us on this call at the minute. We've got me, you, Nathan, and Leon. And Leon is our tech um, expert. Was, it? Our comp- was that yet? Well, I think Leon was in the privileged
2: position of not, not knowing who Merv was.
0: So he wasn't intimidated at all by Merv Hughes. But when he was trying to tell Merv how to work his computer, who, oh, I don't know, mate. Oh, I don't have a bloody clue. I was then worried for him when Merv's tash started twitching and the teeth just started snarling and I thought I feared for Leon a little bit I, I could see Merv t- turning it was almost like when that when werewolves uh, start to change when the full moon comes out it was it started to get a little bit like that <laughs> did you feel the same or is that just me
2: it was well the fact that cuz on on zoom his name comes up as Mervin but he doesn't you don't really think of him as a Mervin no it's just Merv isn't he big merv um but I, yeah, I was, I was slightly scared, but I kind of thought that you'd handle it. I didn't realise that you were scared as well. Do you remember
0: Merv's, I mean, people wouldn't know this, but I think Merv must have done it in his garage or something like that, didn't he? And he had them old Deodora boots in the background. I was like half, half expecting just, you know, to roll out old bowling spikes and old bats and gloves and helmets that were just in the background. I thought At one point, I thought he might actually put these on for us. To yeah. demonstrate. We might get a proper show. Yeah, we might get a show. I'll show you, I'll show you what I'm
2: talking about. Let me just put these on.
0: Yeah, <laughs> For all uh, these uh, intimidation, though, Miles, I do feel like by the end, we've gotten to know him really well. And I feel like he had a bit of a, not a, not a soft side, but I felt I felt like now we're, we're in these. A fondant centre. Yes, yes. And, and I'd like to now refer to him as our move. I feel like we're that close to him now that we're a we're tight-knit group. We're like the three musketeers, me, you, and our move now that the interview is coming up after the break I'd like to say here's our interview with our Merv
2: I'd just like to take a moment to thank our sponsors who have helped make this podcast possible. Cricketers Gin is the perfect pairing for tonic but also this podcast as they also believe in creating something enjoyable around the sport we love. Cricketers is an exquisite local gin, a family business and was inspired during a game of cricket on a sunny village green in Pinckneys, Berkshire The founders decided that the quintessential British game, along with the wild botanicals growing in abundance nearby, deserved a bespoke artisan gin of its own. Cricketers is distilled to the highest London gin standards. All the ingredients are natural and added before distillation, ensuring it's the purest form of gin, and that Cricketers delivers a beautifully smooth juniper-forward gin. You can find this wonderful cricketing tipple at cricketersgin.com, and we thank them for their support. There is a special 10% discount if you use the code pod.
1: William Hill's safer gambling tools help you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus. Please gamble responsibly. William Hill. It's who you play with.
2: He's out. He's got him.
0: What piece of bowling? Superb bowling by Mervyn Hughes. That's five wickets and that's great thinking. Worked him over. Got one to lift and he played. Five
2: wickets to Mervyn and Hughes, and what a performance that was. So, uh, Merv, welcome. I suppose you've met Mark before, have you?
1: Probably ran across him somewhere, but, um, yeah. Uh, so, Miles, yeah, not too sure, Mark. Have we sort of crossed paths?
0: We have. Um, actually, as a kid, I was playing in um, Palm Beach, at Palm Beach Corumban Cricket Club in uh, the south of Queensland, and uh, you came and did a chat there, um, and I supported you for a little bit. Got some tips off here. We talked about Trent Bridge quite a bit because that was the only place I team to have played at the time for Durham. The following you had just in the club, like from because I knew obviously the lads there, you didn't know them, but because I knew them, they were all like hanging on every word. And I'm, I am hear that you're still like that. Now, everywhere you go, everybody just wants a bit of you, don't they?
1: No, <laughs> well, we, we have a bit of fun. There's no doubt about that. So um, it's interesting when you get out on that um, speaking circuit, um, just the array of guys that you come across and um, certainly I, I must admit I thought I might have crossed paths with you in the UK. I, I wouldn't have thought I'd cross paths with you on the Gold Coast in, in Australia. Um, mm. So, yeah, but where, wherever we do those functions, it's um, it is good fun.
0: And obviously Palm Beach... Was is obviously the best club in Australia. What's what's the second best club? <laughs> um, yeah, so you're you're talking
1: about Queensland. Queensland and Victorians don't really get on too well. Ah. Um, um, so so Queensland's just a long way six, as in the best state in in Australia. Footscray's my club, as I said, Western Suburbs of Melbourne, about um, well, I don't know, maybe about twenty k's out of out of uh, Central Melbourne.
0: It's weird, right? Because I think that you know Australians in general, whenever we play Australia. You think they've got a fantastic togetherness. Um, They're always like sort of um, as one on the field, off the field. But then like you just mentioned state rivalry there. Is it quite big in Australia state rivalry? I know obviously across other sports it is, but in the dressing room, is that quite a big state rivalry in Australian dressing rooms?
1: Um, Not so much in the the Australian dressing rooms, but Steve Ward definitely said "As as as hard as we went as a team, to opposition in international level, um, we certainly went probably harder at each other at state level. So when, when you play New, New South Wales, you're up, you're up against Steve War, Mark War, Mark Taylor, uh, Michael Slater. Um, so you're up against most of the batsmen there, and um, the Victoria New South Wales rivalry. Um, we think is pretty tight, and you talk to the Queensland, and New South Wales about the the Queensland, New South r- rivalry, and and that's uh, that's pretty good too. And then West Australia, um, obviously they're they're a little bit uh, removed from, as in distance wise from the rest of the states, and do uh, they just seem to hate everyone? So it's it's <laughs> it's an interesting sort of setup. But when you come together as as a core group of the the Australian team. Um, yeah, you know, when when you play a, a fair bit of cricket together, uh, you get to know each other. You you really enjoy each other's company. But when you go back and play state cricket, um, it, it doesn't ease up at all. So Steve, we used to put the light blue cap on. I used to put the the navy blue cap on, and it was just 100 percent, just uh, <laughs> lock horns and and go at it.
2: Is that, is that the same with you, Mark? Is that when you're really at your most motivated, when you're playing for Durham, charging in against Derby at the old race course?
0: <laughs> no, that's a problem. We haven't really got whatever. We? We're that far away. I suppose we're a bit like uh, Perth. Uh, we're that far away from everyone up here. You're like, quite near Hadrian's I mean, Wall,
2: I suppose. Maybe when you're yeah, in in Scotland.
0: When, yeah, Scotland, maybe that's the closest one. But they, they seem to put the toughest lads in the North just to keep the Scots out. So I think that's why we have that rivalry. But, <laughs> OK. Uh,
2: yeah, please, please send all letters to the usual address. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Merv, we had uh, David Gow as our guest on our last episode. And, of course, you played... I mean, f- firstly, I want to know what you thought about him a little bit. But we, we talked with him about some of the moments of his career, I suppose, that he was... Less thrilled about including that last. Do you remember that game? Last ball before lunch, when he spooned it up to you at mid-wicket. Can you remember what that was like from your from your perspective?
1: I, I, it's an interesting one because we we had we probably stole our our game plan. When I say we, the Australian team stole the claim, game plan that the West Indies had for a long time. And when Alan Border came in, and probably that eighty nine Ashes series was a real turning point for Australian cricket. And we had a training camp, and the whole attitude of the Australian team had changed. And, and off the back of, of Alan Border, and basically the I suppose our, our DNA from from that moment on was go hard at the opposition captain, which was David Gower, and and go very hard at the tail because um, they can make a difference. And um, for for a long time, Alan Border had thought that playing Test cricket against England was almost a social game, so there was no there was no real grunt in it, and '89 he just changed his mentality. Um, like snap of a finger, he just turned into a madman, and he just wanted no pleasantries <laughs> on the game, on the ground. So he just said, if they talk to you, don't talk back. Just ignore them. Um, if you want to get stuck into them, get stuck into them. It was just time to be a, a little bit more brutal on the ground.
0: Where England? Did you see a change? Were, were they surprised? Could you could you tell that they were shook up by it?
1: Um, yeah, well, well like I said, that, um, you know, uh, Graham Gooch and, and Gatting and, and Gara will come out and they'll try and talk to you on the ground. Now, if you talk back and it's all all social, it's almost like a friendly game, to be honest. And he said, we've got to change that. So said, when we play against each other at Shield Cricket, we're just in each other's faces. So no niceties. Um, if they talk to you, um, either one, ignore them, or two, get up them. Now, I was brought up in the... Western suburbs of Melbourne, and get up and seemed like a really good idea to me. <laughs> um, so, you know, and the other thing too, like um, with with those, uh, and I'll, I mentioned those three players: Gower, Gooch, and Gating. They were three experienced players, um, and we probably had um, in '89 no go at rule at them because they're experienced players. They played against better players, and um, certainly I'd ever dreamed to. to uh, be so it, it was more and we, we copped a bit of flack for not not um, going verbally at those guys but it would have been water off a duck's back so um, you know, as you talk about tactics um, short bowling to particular batsmen full bowling at the stumps away from the stumps we also used to talk in team meetings about who to go at verbally and who not to and certainly Gower Gooch and, and Gatting were, were off limits because of the experience and and the amount of cricket that they played
2: so who who absolutely crumbled then in the face of your uh, verbal assaults
1: yeah no one really to be <laughs> honest <laughs> yeah we we and it's it's all a game of bluff isn't it so um diff, it's different sledging for for different reasons and a lot of people said that i used to sledge a lot and Basically, what I said was absolute crap, but it was probably more to get me motivated and up for the game than anything I actually said to a batsman. And if you get upset a batsman along the way, then, then that was all good. But the blokes that came in, and um, like Michael Atherton came in at that, so as a young bloke uh, coming into the fold, obviously you're going to give it to him a bit. And, mate, I of Athers, just got huge respect for him. Um, he's one of the toughest players that I've ever played against. And you know we thought if we we can get into him, we could ruffle his feathers a bit. But mate, he stood up. There's a few others um, that, that sort of fell away a bit, but um, certainly Ather's, Ather stood up. Um, Nash was saying when he got came in. Uh, Graham thought when they came in, obviously as young blokes, uh, you stood over them a bit. Graham Hick, ninety three. I felt sorry for him because and no no fault of his own. Um, he came in. And because he had scored 100 first-class hundreds, the media were comparing him to Sir Donald Bradman. So from an Australian's point of view, we're sitting back saying, this bloke hasn't played a test match, and they're comparing him to Sir Donald Bradman. So as a bowling group, I remember the bowling group uh, getting together, this bloke does not make a run. We're just going to go hard at him. And, you know, like he had nothing to do with it. It was all in the media, but um, certainly he made it. Like he just had a, a huge target on him from
2: from that comparison. I, I can remember watching that series and they got to a point where it was almost like he was being protected by the other batsmen. You know, he'd almost have like Gooch keeping the strike kind of thing. And he'd, he'd be at the non-striker's end.
1: We just had, um, you know, the, the captain of the opposition that we went hard at. Um, then we had a, a couple of spot targets in that in, in that, that top, top order. And then certainly when the tail come in, um, like the West Indies used to do to us. Now, it might be in a time like you know know yourself that if they get 30 or 40 runs, it might be the difference in the game. So when they came in to bat, it was twofold. Uh, hit them as many times as you can and, and plant the seed that, mate, we don't want you out here. And if they come out and bat the next test match knowing that attitude and they don't hang around for too long, and certainly in 89, um, we used to knock over the tail pretty quickly, and, and 93 for that matter, because that was our attitude, was get, we get them six down the next four wickets, we're, we're chasing hard. And it's not so much about um, hitting the stumps. It was more about just intimidating the, the bottom four.
0: You, d- you, d- you did it. A- Murph did all right, though. Murph got a couple of test 50s. You? you get lucky,
1: Mark. You know that yourself. You're you down <laughs> the order. You, you've got
2: to get very lucky. And you've got a seven seventy odd against the West Indies against that's a pretty terrifying bowling attack. Um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't good.
1: It was wasn't a lot of fun. People say, Did you enjoy it? I, I reckon I made 72 knot out and I got hit about 750 times. <laughs> uh, so I, I just remember having bruises all over the body. So it was a, a combination of being eight for three eighty. Um, there was the last test of that series against the West Indies, um, who were 3-1 up. Um, I think they were pretty keen to get home. And Dean Jones was on um, 177 when I got to the crease. So from a, a, a tail ender's point of view, if you can bat and get a, a, the batsman to a milestone, then that, that's what we sort of hang our hat on a bit.
2: Yeah, it was sort of equivalent, I suppose, to Monty Panazar batting through with Paul Collingwood for 100, that kind of... <laughs> is, that, is that a fair equivalence, <laughs> um, uh,
1: Yeah, not, probably not, not the comparison I'd look for, but... <laughs> yeah. um, Bob Simpson and Alan Bore and Bob Simpson in particular, was if you're batting with a batsman, um, you know, get your head down and hang around for, for as long as you can. And I was batting sort of 9, 10, 11, and they said, well, the other thing is if you're if you're batting with another tailender just swing the bat because if you get oh, lucky, you're not dead. It just music 29.
0: to my ears here. Man. Oh, yeah. me, and Bro, me and Brodie say the same thing. So basically when we in the test matches we've played recently, it's pointless us two hanging around. If we can get as many as we can, as quick as we can, then we get like quickly. If you put on 30, 40 runs, then all of a sudden the momentum changes and you're then taking that out into your bowling. Whereas like if it, when you're with a batter, you play it properly. But if me and Brody what to, like, scratch around or whatever, now we just think, oh, should we just have some fun and just, yeah. you know, try it? I mean, even against Australia now, it was interesting hearing you say that because I, I feel like that even when we play Australia now, I feel like they still target the tail. Um, and I feel like until the end of the series, they're still uh, very sort of standoffish. Um, so it's interesting that you say that from 89 and all those years ago. It still, I think, goes through now. So um, that must be well embedded in the sort of Australian culture.
1: You don't change a successful formula. If it's not if it's not successful, you move away from it. But because it's been successful, um, you stick with it. And and certainly uh, Glenn McGrath, Jason Gillespie over the years, you know, the faster bowlers, if you get a side six or seven down, my, most teams go to their spinner. Now, as, as a number 10 or 11, if you're throwing a spinner on, I'm thinking this is a lot better than the quickest bowler in the <laughs> team, but constantly going out at 9, 10, 11, and... They're throwing the ball to Devon Malcolm because against the West Indies, they didn't really have a spinner to, to throw it to, but they just throw the ball to Patrick Patterson. Patrick Patterson would run in and dead set try and hit. And to be honest, we had no interest in batting against the West Indies. <laughs> but if, you, if you got out first ball, you almost celebrated. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, river.
2: the approach the border instilled in you was that carried on by Mark Taylor? I would dare say that,
1: that um, Mark had the same same view as Alan and certainly Steve War had that view and passed it on to, to Ricky Ponning um, because it's a it's a formula that worked. Um, it still goes on today. There's there's no doubt about that. And with the Australian side, I mean, if you see three or four Australians having a go at someone, that's a team plan. Is you, you go verbally at someone to see how they handle it. And most of the time it's against younger, younger people and people say it's bullying. Well it is a form of bullying. But if they stand up to it, um, it, it stops pretty quickly. It's
2: amazing. I think like in 2005, for instance, I got the impression we had a similar tactic and it seemed to be people acting toward her. And the very early on, Hayden got – I think Jones hit Hayden and Hayden was across them. And just everyone came it, 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 as if they were saying, let's start a fight and go at it. And you've got Hayden. I remember him just looking sort of baffled at people like Andrew Strauss charging towards him and shouting.
0: Well, I uh, i know this from first hand because Collie obviously now coached someone that was me, captain. He was playing in the game. He was one of the ones. And I think England had a chat that they were sick of Australia sort of being the the sort of alpha males, the ones that bully England. And look, we're going to stop this now. We're going to stand up. But I think there was no sort of, Collie said, no scars from a lot of them players. It was a new team, a bit like what Merv was saying before. It wasn't like they were intimidated because they hadn't been drummed 5-0 away in Australia and had a horrible tour. And I think it was a a sort of stance of, look, we're not going to, uh, take a backward step now?
1: Well, 2005, you, you had Jones, Harmison, Freddie Flintoff and, and Hoggart. Um, Ash, so Ashley
2: you, Giles, move.
1: Uh, and <laughs> Ashley Giles. But you had the, the, the four quicks and um, Freddie Flintoff, the all-rounder, bowled as quick as the, the faster bowlers. So there, there was no let-up. And um, I really enjoyed that tour, even though Australia got beaten, I really enjoyed that tour because of the, the just the fierce battle between the fast bowlers and and bat from both sides. From my perspective, and over there watching a few of the games, you could could see the English attitude was: listen, we've got some pace, let's let's use it.
2: And it became a, a real real battle, didn't it? Because when you were playing in '93, say it would. I mean, obviously at the time it would have seemed intense. But you watching something like that, would you think? I'd have loved to play in a series like that. I, I, in a way, I'd like to have played against a better England team. Or were you happy just rolling us over in the 90s?
1: Just happy rolling it over. <laughs> so, you no, know, we went over under 89 very much the underdogs, but went over 93, um, really assured in our own minds that, that we were going to be
2: successful. And I suppose that, I mean, that it was a demolition in a way, wasn't it? I know we, we won the last one under... Um... Atherton as captain, but the, you know, that's I suppose that's a successful Ashes series is when you, you finish a captain's career. You just had to get
0: that in Mails, didn't you? If you haven't worked out already, Merv, that Athers is Miles' favourite player. So when you give him a rap before, he was like, Oh, Athers, yeah.
1: He's one of my favourite players too, Athers. Um I I just gotta tell you a story. I, I host tour groups, so I've been over to the UK virtually every tour since we've been over there, and I I ran into um, this little old lady at um, Old Trafford. Oh, you're that Mervyn Hughes. And she just gave me a gobful. I was just sitting there, thinking, And it was Michael Atherton's mother. <laughs> she just gave it like, I just see 2009 from memory. And I ran into Athers at the Oval, just went up to the press box to catch up with a, a few of the boys. And, and Atherton was there. And I said, oh, I ran into your mother at um, Old Trafford uh, a couple of weeks ago. Or that wouldn't have been good for you <laughs> he off me. It was unbelievable
2: you ran him out on ninety nine that was your throw, wasn't it from ninety three she was she was probably as upset about it as I was
1: yeah it was only about five yards away from the stumps, wasn't it so he, <laughs> he was doing a good job collecting it and um yeah what what is it, what on earth was michael Atherton thinking batting with Mike gadding thinking that they could run a three. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, as far as game awareness goes, that's shy, isn't it? That's no good.
2: I, I remember that so clearly. I was at a friend's house, and his my friend wasn't that interested in cricket, but his dad was, and we were watching it. And after the, I don't know, he, he was the only one, like a lot of the 90s, that was sort of doing anything, and he was just painstakingly making his way. And when he was about 97, my friend's dad said, he went, oh, no. And I said, what is it? And he said, he's going to be run out for 99. And I thought... What a bad <laughs> thing to say. And then yeah. a couple of minutes later there, it was that big looping. It was a good throw, Murph. We're happy to give you that.
1: Oh, yeah, no, fantastic throw. So at, at Lord's, he hit it up the hill um, away from me. Just just a superb athlete that I am. I just snuck across the ground like a panther and uh, picked <laughs> the ball up. And, yeah, no, was, uh, yeah, obviously from an Australian perspective, we we're pretty happy happy with it. And, If you're an English supporter, it would have been very disappointing. Runs.
0: 98. 99. Will they go for the third? He's fallen. He's stepped down. Oh, tragedy.
2: Tragedy. Absolute nightmare. Unbelievable joy for Australia. Atherton wanted the third was sent back, slipped and fell, and just couldn't struggle to his feet.
1: Oh dear. I like uh, I've I've said this in the past, and and it's very un-Australian for me to say this, but um Michael Atherton out on 99, he deserved hundred that game, and to get him out on ninety-nine, I almost felt sorry for him.
2: Mm. Wow. Well, well. I can't believe that. I think I think you're forgiven, Murph. It's
1: almost done Australian, that isn't it? That
2: is extremely. <laughs> what sort of a day have you had? You're very open emotionally. Um, <laughs> Murph, did you enjoy
0: um, touring more as a player or a spectator?
1: Oh, very much so as a player. Um, so eighty nine, ninety three, uh, the the bonds that you make. Like we we used to tour, and when we tour, we, we'd be touring for four and a half, five months. So we. Uh, we came over. We played virtually every county side. Um, we played a couple of couple of one days before the two, and then then we used to play six tests. So that that was the norm. So um, 89, 93, um, we we just had an absolute ball. And and the the bonds and the friendships that you make, like you, I don't you don't catch up with the guys all the time. But when you do, it's like yesterday. So when you catch up, it's just rewind to 89. And the good time that we
0: had. And then I would never have lasted six tests, man. I'd be injured <laughs> after two.
1: <laughs> what happens now? You guys play a four test series, it's all over in a month. So it's start on Friday, finish there, start on Friday, finish there. We used to play a test match, and in '89, I reckon we had rest days. So you had a rest day, and then you'd travel, and then we'd have um, two, three day games between each test match. So if you're lucky enough to get get a game off, you, it was just speed up and do that. So you had plenty of time to recover. Not not like the schedule today, where it's almost get in and get out as quickly as you can. You fly in, uh, play a three-day game, and then play a test match. How the how the hell are the players supposed to acclimatise to to the conditions, to the to the ball that they're using? There's just so so much wrong. I'd, People talk about the money involved today and say, would you love to to play cricket today? No, the players don't get half the chances that we used to get. We used to get given every chance to be successful. And now it just seems that everything's moving that fast, that um, it's almost irrelevant um, who does well and and who's successful. Basically who who wins or loses. Um, Now, if a home team... Loses in this modern era, it's been an outstanding effort from the touring team.
2: And that, do you think then, by 93, then, when in many ways at your, at your peak, you're so at home on English conditions. You've toured there before, you've played that huge, you know, that was it called the Tetley Championship or whatever, you, the touring side would play so many counties. Yeah. By the time you're out in the park, you're, you're really, really experienced in English conditions.
1: Well, the other thing I had too was in 89, I had Jeff Jeff Lawson and Terry Alderman. We'd play at the venue before we played the Test match there. So, yeah, you know, we'd, we'd play a one-day game at Birmingham if the first Test match was in Birmingham, and then you go and play a three-day game at Lords. So you go to Birmingham, and the wicket's just a, a little bit of a rise. Okay, so Terry Ollam and Jeff Lawson talk about that. Then you get to Lords and the and the slope of the ground and the slope of the wicket. So if you if you're bowling from the Pavilion end. Um, just be a little bit higher outside off stump to the right-hander because the ball drags down. And if you're uh, bowling from the nursery end, um, you, can, you can bowl at the stumps more because it, it moves down the hill and things like that. Now, we had a test match there. I reckon it was 2009 where uh, a test attack, no one had played at Lords. And, and you could see by the way that they bowled there that they didn't understand the ground. And then you get to Leeds and you got, got the hill up and down the ground. Um, yeah, you know, and just the, the the different things that you learn and the stuff that I learned off of uh, Jeff Lawson and Terry Alderman was was fantastic. So when you just know the I suppose what the grounds and the characteristics of the grounds, it, it just makes life a lot easier. Can you
2: remember a time ever when you were just at sea? You were at a ground and you thought, I don't know what to do here. You're inexperienced or you're playing against just batsmen that you couldn't see through in a way and just felt, I don't know what to do here. You're at the top of your well, mark.
1: You, you want to go back to that 86-87 Brisbane Test match? Bowling on the Gabba, um, which I'd done a, a few times for Victoria, but bowling to Ian Botham. <laughs> was, I think I got into the Guinness Book of Records that day, uh, 24 off and over. Um, I still claimed victory in the Guinness Book of Records because it was six-eight a six-ball uh, six over, not an eight-ball over. So <laughs> it was a six-ball over. It's another... Another two balls, so if it had to be an eight ball over, I'm convinced that that Beefy would have um, hit maybe another six, another four, so another ten at least. That's 30-plus off and over in Test cricket. Oh, I'd be still in the Guinness Book of <laughs> Records, I reckon. Viv Richards in um, in Barbados got, got 140 against us. And it, it was coming towards the end of his career, and you just think, how good would this bloke have been in his prime? Um, he got 156 in, in Perth against us. And again, towards the end of his career, and you just look at him and think, how did Jeff Thompson and Dennis Lilly bowl to this bloke in his prime? But um, you, you have your days, I suppose. How do you bounce back? Is it um, every, time, every time you bowl a ball, you've got a chance of taking a wicket? If you get hit, the ball comes back. Now you go, to your run up and you start again. So it's not what happened last ball that's important; it's what happened with the next ball.
2: Mark, were you on the field when Dom Sibley bowled that over of leg spin this summer? No,
0: I was. Tw- I was twelfth man. I was watching it. Was oh, uh, it was hard to watch?
2: That is was one of the most extraordinary
0: things I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it was hard to watch that. It was. Um, I, yeah,
2: sorry, we're on Zoom, so Merv can see. I've got my head in my hands. It was a. Dr- it was. I would <laughs> all I would say it was a very sudden and unexpected drop in standards. Yeah. It was.
0: Just it was. he um, honestly he got he, he got a bit of the yips Did because he? He, he bowls in the nets and stuff he's okay and he bowls for Workshop and it's okay but he uh, he was so nervous uh, that he couldn't he right. couldn't let go of the ball and Root, Root wanted the ball and one more over and he was like don't you dare bowl me one more over <laughs> <laughs> really
2: <laughs> I think it's time for um, what we call Mark Wood's super over are
0: you ready for that Mark I'm ready I'm ready quick fire it's a minute minute and a half of quick fire questions. You have to say the first thing that comes in your head. I I do my terrible Ian Smith impression before I do it. And then you just say the first thing that comes to your head. (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm good with this. I'm I'm on the timer. You ready, Miles? And go. By the barest of margins. Right, what's your uh, favorite drink, Merv? Beer. Favorite music or band? Metal as anything. Good Australian band. Uh, Your favorite TV show? NCIS. Good one. Any superstitions when you played? Uh, Always put your left boot on first. Any addictions when you play it or on tour? No. Any? What was your favourite school lesson? Physical education. (laughs) Uh, Would you prefer to whistle, clap, click, or hum? Whistle. Yep. Who's your worst roommate? Tim May. Do you have any guilty pleasures? Just waking up in the morning is a good one at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Have you got a favourite childhood toy? Well, cricket bat? Yep. Hot bath or cold shower? Cold shower. Name two types of trouser? Jeans. shorts. Yes. <laughs> and have you got a favourite TV owl? Nah. <laughs> By the best of margins, Murph 83.5 seconds.
2: That. And that uh, I've just tied up the scores. Uh, they're all right. Absolutely. 100% correct <laughs> there, Murph. Although I, I would quibble of whether shorts are a type of trouser. Oh, short well, trousers! If, no, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Their full name is short trousers, aren't they? So I'm, I've answered like my main the
1: question there. I think the he's a whistler always look on the bright <laughs> side.
0: You've got to be a whistler. Yeah, got to be. Love
2: that. Love that. What uh, uh, What was wrong with Tim May as a roommate? Oh,
1: terrible, terrible roommate. So 1989, um, I re- he wasn't playing, um, so he was out to to all hours coming home and just snored something, no good, just no good, the, think of the worst roommate you've ever had and then times it by 200, <laughs> it is a
0: disgrace. Miles, did you, notice, um, did you notice NCIS was in there, that obviously means that Merv's a bit of a thinker, all us fastballers obviously are, we work out things pretty quickly, so he's obviously a, a detective on the slide, Merv would you say? I, I think I just like bloodshed, to be honest. I, I don't really see it as
1: a, a thinking man. I just see it as entertaining
2: because people are getting hurt. So in, in a way, you don't even want them to solve it. You just want someone... They just want to yeah, accuse no, somebody I'm, of it and go for it.
1: I'm actually barraging for the bad guy.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hopefully they don't catch him and he'll be on again next week. <laughs>
2: Brilliant. Brilliant. That's what the actor playing the bad guy is thinking as well.
0: Remember would you have... Um... Fancy the IBL now? Would you have would you have gone in if you if it was around? And as well, whose kit whose kit would have looked best on you? Oh, <laughs> de-
1: definitely pink. So Rajasthan. <laughs> um, yes. You got you got to be brave. You got to be man up to wear pink. I, I think pink would have been good. Now, any obviously for a bloke my build, any, any of the dark colours are, are good. Um, <laughs> with the with the money in it, um, it's too good an opportunity to. To pass up, but I suppose back back in my well, back in my day, I sound so old when I say that uh, the IPL for Australian cricketers then was county cricket. Um, if you went over and played county cricket, it, it was financially uh, rewarding, and I never wanted to do that because I always wanted to to be fit and available to play. Um, Cricket for, for Victoria and Australia, especially, and I just thought that
0: you were Essex when you moved. Essex, Essex was, yeah. I went
1: over there on a scholarship, so um, where I think you guys used to have
0: the the Whitbread scholarship. And and what did you think of what were your perceptions of county Creek?
1: So I, I played the whole year, virtually in the second. I played one one game in the first that year, and that was a tour game against New Zealand. Um, so I, I was I was very lucky, to be honest. Um, had had a year under Mike Doness, who was captain of of um, the Essex second eleven, and just learnt so much under him. He, he was a fantastic skipper. Uh, came back really really forthcoming with his uh, um, opinions, and uh, learned a hell of a lot of him in four and a half months. And I, if I hadn't had that scholarship and hadn't played under him, I reckon that that would have stunted my my development by a good maybe three, four years.
0: It's it's funny you say that, Merv, right? Because when I played in Australia, I had Peter Anderson. No, I know you know yeah. Ando, but it was very similar for me. So so I went to Palm Beach and Ando, Peter Anderson was the coach. People listening in, Peter Anderson, um, Queensland, one of them weight that wouldn't let you touch the Palm Beach gloves. When you would high five, he'd have to give you like the the back of his hand and sort of doggy paw you sort of thing. It's amazing that you said that sort of when you came over, he had that influence on you. Well, Ando was the same for me. It was very different. Obviously, a young lad going to Australia, he could talk quick with me all day. And like you say, he was a little bit loopy, so that made it even better for me. And uh, (laughs) he, uh, he, he really helped me, I felt. And it's not necessarily that I did well in Australia, but I felt like when I came home, like you said, my development, and I'd encourage sort of any... Young cricketer that wants to go to Australia or England, it will it does help you develop a hell of a lot. Even if you even you might not realise it at the time. But when I came back to England, no. I felt like I developed as a person and a cricketer a hell of a lot.
1: So that's the big thing. If you travel and you don't have the right people around you, you're not learning anything. So for for me to go over, as I said, the learning curve that I had at, at Essex to have the opportunity occasionally to train with the the, fir- and the first eleven and they had they had goots, they had um, Fletcher, they had Don Topley, they had um, John Lever, they had Derek Pringle. I had a, a heap of guys, and an array of former Test players. So to be in that, but to be under constant supervision from Mike Dinesh was just exceptional.
2: I was just going to say, this conversation, just all it makes me realise that the only thing that's been lacking from my game over the years is I've never had the opportunity to play under the right captain, I think, <laughs> and that would have... I've never really been... Taken, you know, under the wing in that way. Neil Smith kept I... to me for the Lords. Lords tabloids. He put me at silly point when Devon Malcolm was bowling. I don't think I've ever been so frightened. I took a wicket with my Sibley-esque leg spin. Someone caught it long on, and I got I, I got a high five from Devon Malcolm at Lords. So I, I and you've I not have...
0: and you've not washed your hands since, huh? <laughs> until, <laughs>
2: until COVID restrictions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: Merv, Last thing I I just want to ask you is just about. Being a selector really because obviously um after you you'd, you'd finished playing and was there any sort of heated discussions behind doors or uh,
1: you had five years as a selector and mate, to to be quite honest we had Justin Lang and Matthew Hayden we had Ricky Ponting. we had Michael Clark we had Michael hussey then then it was either Watson Marcus North or Andrew Simons you had Gilchrist you had Warren you had McGrath then you had <laughs> Brett Lee, Glenn McGrath, Jason Gillespie, Michael Casperwitch. Oh, uh, must have been so hard. This so you, our biggest problem was who to leave out, wasn't who to yeah. pick. So <laughs> the the five years I had, really no no surprises. It's interesting; the general public will sit back. Oh, that's a bit of a surprise. Well, if you if you follow first-class cricket. People have got to perform there to get selected at the next level, and if you follow it closely, you can understand why it's done. And when blokes get dropped, <clears throat> they get dropped for a reason.
2: Did you find that a hard transition? Then, I mean, in terms of, is the pressure of being a selector, the scrutiny, a, a bit like being a player? Do you feel, you know, do you feel a weight of responsibility? You pick a team, and then they're out there in the park, and you can't intervene. You know, By the the thing
1: about being a selector is that. When I, when I was appointed an Australian selector, um, I thought there was four of us. Uh, you, you soon find out there's 1.2 million selectors. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone, it was definitely tougher being a selector than it was being a player because all that's out of your hands. So you jump onto the ground as a player it's in your control. As a selector, you don't pick players to perform badly. And quite often when a, a young player comes in, he doesn't grab the game by the scruff of the neck. It takes him a little bit of time. And you've got to be a little bit understanding about that. So, you know, there's there's a, the occasional player that comes in and, and just burns from the start. But geez, it's few and far between. You, you They've got to get themselves, I don't know, just used to playing at that level.
2: Top of your mark, about to run in, what batsman would you not want to be bowling to?
1: Viv Richards. Uh,
2: so the more the more aggressive
1: batsmen, like most batsmen, you can either bowl full to defend or short to defend. Uh, but with those guys, with with the better players, your margin for error is so slight. So if you're just a little bit little bit um, short, if you're a little bit over pitched, you know that. So you've got to be spot on your game, and there's no room for error. And um, you know bowling to, to David Gower when when he was on song, um, bowling to to Graham Gooch. Um, you know you know that he's going to be a tough com- competitor. There's no doubt about that. But just the, the senior players um, and the players that were established were, were the tougher players to, to bowl to. Sonny Gavaskar, obviously for a different reason, is that Sonny Gavaskar, you could bowl the ball two inches outside off stump, he'd let it go. Now, you, you've got an offside field. You bowl the ball at off stump, he'll work you to mid-wicket for one. So basically you can't put any pressure
0: on him. I'm 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 now going to Australia. Uh, as part of the ashes tour, where we're bowling at Brisbane or Melbourne or wherever we are. How am I gonna bowl to Steve Smith? Yeah, now pull a hamstring. I'm tipping. <laughs> oh, I was going <laughs> for some tips there. I thought
1: this is it, I'm gonna get the answer. Steve Smith is um he's just a rare batsman because he's unorthodox. Like you could bowl. Six balls exactly the same to Steve Smith and he's going to hit you to six different parts of the, go- the ground. And that to me is a batsman that you just – I've, I've sat here and, and watched him on TV trying to figure out where you'd bowl to him. And, mate, I've, I've watched him for eight years and I, you still have no idea. Just when you think, okay, we, you could do this to him, he, he finds a way. And, and the great players just find a new level. Every year. As soon as you think you've got them um, sussed out, uh, they just mind a little bit. Well, of Steve Smith, you look at him, probably the only thing I could come up with is because he likes that step across, uh, it's a dangerous one, is uh, around the wicket um, and just hone in on that, that leg stump. And that to me is defensive bowling, but against a player so good, that's what you got to do. A bit of Richards was the same yesterday stand at the top of the mark thinking, where the hell am I going to bowl to him? You know if you bowl short, he's going to pull you or hook you. You know if your bowl full, he's going to drive you. And if you got mid on, mid off, that didn't matter because it hit you over the top. If you got, gave him any width at all, um, he could hit both leg side and off side. So the guys that can score at 360, with which Steve Smith can, mate, they're an absolute nightmare to bowl to. There
0: you go. I've got no chance, Miles. I was hoping for a tip there and well, we're on, the, we're on the wickets, maybe the way to go. Could you
2: have a catcher? Have a catcher at 45, like a sort of fly, fine leg? Yeah, almost a,
1: probably a leg slip and, and your fine leg a little bit squarer and someone just in front of square. Um, and when when guys do that to him, they bowl short at him. I don't think he short's the answer um, because he's so good. I think you've got to be fooling at the stumps and and try and hit the stumps. But, but having, having said that, I've seen... Plenty of people go around the, the wicket to him and, and haven't had success. So mate, and that's what good players do. They, they're they good players because you
2: can't get them out. I swear to you, you want him concussed to the point where he'll leave straight ones. <laughs> the other thing you could try is become friends with him
1: and just get him out on the beers the night before, like get about 20 beers into him and see how he goes. But then the problem with that is if he's had 20 beers, You'll probably add twenty beers, so <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: it's not adding up, is it?
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: your t- Mark's teetotal. You could just keep knocking back the water and say, "God, I don't, I don't think I've ever had this much vodka on a weekday."
0: They reckon uh, Flintoff's teetotal now as well. I wonder what Murph thinks to that.
1: Yeah, very disappointing. Very disappointing. I've just got, um, I've still got his highlight reels from from uh, two thousand and five. Nothing to do with the cricket. All to do with the uh, <laughs> visit to Ten Downing Street the next day. That was just fantastic, <laughs> wasn't it?
0: He's was a little bit worse for wear, wasn't
1: he? Oh, mate, him, yeah, him and Peterson. But you just sort of look at Freddie, and I think I'm not sure whether you're aware, but we had that um, Australian version of "I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here." Yeah. And Freddie Flintoff came over that, and I spent. Uh, six weeks in the South African jungle with, with Freddie and made just a, a cracking bloke. And I said, we've got to catch up in England have a beer. He said, I'm off it. So Bob, what? <laughs> he was once the biggest piss head in England, wasn't he? And now yeah. he's not drinking. Very disappointing. Very disappointing.
0: I went to the, I remember when I first got to Australia, I went to the bar and I said the guy who was there, I seen, I seen this uh, young lass drinking this uh, raspberry, like pinky drink. I said, oh, can I have a raspberry lemonade? And the barman looked at me and went, are you all right, mate? I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, what's wrong? He's like, no, nobody asked for that drink, yeah.
1: How, how old was that girl? She was about 15, 16, It probably had a little bit of Uzo in her. We call them jelly beans over here. They're fantastic. They look like raspberry cordial, and they taste like a red jelly bean. You have about five of them, and you can't stand up. They're sensational. <laughs> we digress.
2: I was just, I was just thinking, looking, obviously, As for me now, I'm looking at the 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 same Merv Hughes essentially that I watched in the '90s tearing us apart as we, as you triggered uh, another collapse. And the kind of, in a way, it's the sort of the brand of Merv Hughes, right? So you've got this. You, if you shaved your moustache off, do you think you could walk around unrecognised? Have you Have you ever shaved it off?
1: I didn't. I didn't have it for the first four or five years of life. It took a while to grow. (laughs) (laughs) I've had it since 1985. Um, so I must admit it's changed a bit in colour since then but um, yeah, so I've had it I've had it um, virtually all the way through and haven't really thought about uh, shaving it off to, to be honest but I think that's what people identify with so the first thing they see is a moustache and then it's oh Merv, happy days but if, if they don't see the moustache they're not going to identify with that are they? I reckon just Blake Bowl better with a moustache anyway that's just
2: me. That is what you need to do when you're bowling to Steve Smith, Mark. You need to, you need to quickly grow a moustache. It's worth a try. Nothing else works. Listen, Merv, I think we should uh, let you return to your, undoubtedly, your gentle evening. I don't know what's, what you have got lined up, perhaps with the slippers on, pour yourself a raspberry lemonade. Um, oh, yeah, no, good
1: timing. <laughs> good timing. N- NCIS is just about to start, too. <laughs> exactly. So you can
2: go root for the bad guys. Brilliant. Um, it's an absolute, absolute pleasure to speak to you, Merv.
1: Merv, well, thank you very much. Mark, thank you very much. Good luck with your crickling prospects. Thank you, Merv. Legend. Thanks so much for coming on, Merv.
2: So that was uh, Merv Hughes talking to me and Mark Wood uh, a few weeks ago. I, th- I thought it was delightful, actually. I was genuinely, genuinely quite scared about meeting him, even over the internet. Because, I, you know, 1993 is probably when I Merv Hughes first entered my consciousness. And he seemed just incredibly sort of solid and intimidating you know I can just you know just the way he'd sort of shriek at people and better them
0: I think I think it's not just his it's, it wasn't just his type the, the bowler that he was it's his persona isn't it as well the, the aura that he carried when he played um, I still think he sort of he has this like sort of cheeky sort of side of him when he was speaking to us and when he speaks to people but un, underneath it's like a steely determination as well isn't it and you don't, you does not cross them, sort of thing. It's something I find lots
2: of cricketers, no matter who, what their, like their persona might be after they've played or whatever, they're a sort of joker and they mess around or not. You just, you know, no matter what they're like on, I don't know, a question of sport or something, their actual inner steeliness and their desire to win and their competitiveness is, in most instances,
0: a- absolutely kind of extreme, really. Mm. Uh, and of course, I mean, on Merv Light like he gave me some tips to get the, the well one of the top Australian batters out didn't he? He did have you going to I mean will
2: that will that honestly help you? Mind you he's already in quite a bad form at the moment Steve Smith perhaps he'll carry that into the next Ashes series?
0: Top players don't seem to stay out of form for long does he? Maybe he's just doing it deliberately he's like oh you know I'm not going to show off too much I'll keep it for when England come over for the Ashes but what he, lo and behold does he does he know that Merv's told me the secret and now I know how to get him out it's either over the wicket, I could try going around the wicket, um, bowling it wide and then aim one at like Stump. So maybe I sh- maybe I need some sort of Mervyn celebration to let him know that it worked. What are the chances of you getting a new ball in your hands? Um, quite um, quite unlikely, I would say, um, just because I don't. I've bowled with the new ball and obviously white ball cricket, but... We've got that many good bowlers. Everybody's lining up to take the new ball. And So what do you do? Do you practice with like a 20-over old kookaburra? Yeah, if I'm practicing in training and stuff, the coach will throw me one that's like maybe 10, 15 overs old. So it's as if I'm the first change bowler. Um I can practice with new balls. I have practiced with new balls. Um, that helps you to, you know, help with swing and um just the feel of the ball because you never know you might have to do that. Just to get that ball to move then, What's, is it... Like a, a slight
2: action change? Is it just a length? Is it a length change? Is it just just your grip? No, no,
0: it's it's, it's slight action, it's slight action, um, change slight changes in grip. So it's just literally um, minute things that might be, you know, you might not tell the difference, but it's just changing your finger position. And, and you can try this at home now because it will work on in the backyard. I mean, a good place to try is probably your yeah, indoor nets and things that because if you can get the ball to we'll move in there where it's sort of hard and true, that would be a great place to start. It's literally just tweaking the pressure on maybe each finger, tweaking the ball angle a little bit, shining the ball up or not shining it, trying to get it to reverse things. i are just trying different things. um, And that's what you've got to do when you're out there. What did you think of Merv? I loved him.
2: I mean, it's exciting. You know, the thing is, you and and he have have done the same thing, right? Which is played at the highest level. So there's something that you're having in common. That's a kind of leveler. You know, he's won the Ashes many times. You've won a Cricket World Cup. Do you know what I mean? You've won an Ashes. It's so there's 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 a there's a kind of equivalence there. For for me, I'm here as a as a cricket fan, and so that's the thing. So David Gower, for instance, I. I, I know well but Merv I don't so i i suddenly his face comes up on the on the screen and i I could be like just a a child again going on you know there's Merv Hughes. when you, when you
0: say that i do I did like the the play stories, but also the selectors the the fact that he's been in the crowd with touring parties you know he's he's covered in cricket a lot of bases he's been a spectator and he's he's done tour parties with people he's been in the in the hot seat of a as a selector that's stuck by people. And, well, the and...
2: selector thing, what was really surprised me, I suppose, do you know there's some people that even when they're playing the game, you're like, well, they look destined for the skybox or they've got administrator written all over them or whatever. They've got cricket masters an independent boys' school written all over them, whatever it might be. Do you know what I mean? But you wouldn't have sort of earmarked him as a selector. But I, mean, I think sometimes people that are a bit kind of naughty, you know, there's the people to get, you know, and also, someone like him, somebody who struggled with injuries in the sort of latter half of his career or whatever, he's just, as you say, he's seen the game from a lot of ankles. So bought it from it, I suppose. With like, we have David Lloyd, who seems to have done almost every job it is possible to do within cricket. Were you as thrilled as I was to hear who um, one of his favourite cricketers was?
0: Yes, um, it was Tim Allen, wasn't it? <laughs> I felt as well that when I think of Merv, I feel from a background point of view and stuff, I feel like he was very. I guess in some ways similar to me, from you know work, working class background, and mm-hmm. um, and 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 came up through the system, loved um, his opportunity to play for Australia and and things like that, and um, I took a lot of it. You know what he was saying, I could relate to myself as well, which I th- which was quite nice to listen to.
2: And is that I mean, someone like him, I kind of I don't know the extent to which. You know, you were talking about going and listening to him speak when you were playing club cricket there. But the importance of having someone like that as a kind of mentor... I mean, obviously, the, the extraordinary situation you're in, like Steve Harmison, played for your local cricket club until so you've got this kind of figurehead, someone from exactly the same background as you, going on to do the mm-hmm. thing that you want to do. And what what, what a difference that makes. In fact, yeah. in fact, if Steve Harmison hadn't played for Ashington do you think you'd have got as far as, as you've got in terms of having that level of inspiration, to have someone that close uh, to you that makes you realise you,
0: you can do this? That's a great question. I think yes and no. I think it. My, i created the path without harming myself, but having him to look up to, I think certainly helped and, and sort of inspired you you try to aspire to be like well that. it's
2: merit-based isn't it i'm not saying it's like who you know oh well he's you know it's not like yeah being the chairman of selectors his son or anything like that i just i mean you know because it's totally you've got to get the results but the fact that in terms of you having the belief to realize i can get to that place
0: i think yeah no i, I agree with what you're saying i think um that thought process definitely goes through your mind while you're thinking. You know, he's from the same background as me. He's from the same family, similar family as me. If he can do it, why can't I sort of thing? So, yeah, I would say that uh, there is a, an element of that, definitely.
2: Uh, I, but I I did, I loved, I loved talking to him. I was, you know, I did feel like a child again, basically him him being there. I mean, I, w- I won't forgive him for that beautiful throw from the boundary that ran out the sainted Michael Atherton,
0: but... Uh, I could see you welling up, actually, when he was talking about it. I could see it was getting a little bit too much weight. I nearly called it off for a minute.
2: Thank you very much indeed for listening. Uh, good luck to Mark uh, and the rest of his England colleagues in Sri Lanka. Come on, England. Um, come on, England. Uh, thank you to everyone who wrote in. Thank you very much to Merv. Uh, here to sing us out uh, with his own extraordinary, extraordinary rendition of Super Trooper is Mark Wood. Have new everyone.
0: Super, super, do the nose mancawaja. Oh, should be taken and it's taken. Brilliant from Mark Wood, what a spell this has been.
2: You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and email us at middleplease at hotmail.com. Please also leave a review if you've enjoyed it. Thanks to Mark and everyone behind the scenes, including Cricketers Jin. Middle Please, Umpire is an electric production in association with Playback Media. Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com.
2: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
2: Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
0: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs>